your positive, positive, positive imprint. Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Well, good day to you. I hope you are healthy wherever you are listening from. My guest today is a gentleman who mentors others whom he feels are more vulnerable within our communities. Well, this is Catherine, your host of Your Positive Imprint, the variety show podcast featuring people whose positive imprints are inspiring others around the world. I'm so glad you're here to listen to their stories. Your Positive Imprint. What's your P.I.? Music by the very talented composer Chris Knoll. Check out his fabulous music at chrisknoll.com or, of course, Spotify. Join my email list and continue listening from my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, or, as always, listen from iHeartRadio, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, or your favorite podcast platform. But do me a favor. Will you please hit tap that subscribe, download, or follow button as well as the five-star rating? I would love that support. And remember, this is a free podcast and a quick COVID-19 update. If you need a mask, somebody you know needs a mask, or if you'd like to donate money to an organization who is making masks for people all over the world, including United States, here's how. Daryl Carnley from my episode, Shoes for the Masses, has a special update from My360 Project. Well, hi, Catherine. Thanks for having me on your show again. And yes, we've actually made what we would call a pivot uh, in, in our vision. Uh, we, of course, build shoes, and, and we we're in 11 countries, about 5,000 pairs we put on children. But since this pandemic hit, uh, one of the things is it's hard for us to get materials, all of those things for our shoes. So we made a pivot in what we're doing to keep our ladies working. We begin to make masks. And so right now we're building masks in five different countries plus the United States. And it is giving us this opportunity to keep people working, to help with some safety precautions during the COVID-19. It's, I, I will use this word carefully, but it's been a blessing for us to be able to at least keep people working and they're able to put food on their tables in these countries. And so by far, never thought we would put masks on people, but till we can do shoes, mask is what we're up to. And how can people either donate money or find out about retrieving a mask? A real simple way, and, and we're donating masks, and of course people are donating finances to help us do that, so we're not selling them. But if someone's interested, they can text M-A-S-K-S, masks, to 24365, or they can go on our website at www.my360project.com, and right at the top, you'll see a little blib on mask, and there's a button you can hit. You can donate. Uh, thanks to those that are, you know, we're smaller, and so we can't build tens of thousands, but right now we're building probably a few thousand a week. Uh, in the different areas. And so we would love people to come on, check it out. And if they do get our mask, post a picture. But like I said, we made a pivot in our in our vision. All right. So people around the world can text 24365. And then in the message line, put masks, M-A-S-K-S. Yes. And it'll prompt them what to do and they can donate or they can order masks and we would love to help them out. Oh, that's wonderful. And the masks are free. 
Yes. The text mask is it works in the USA, um, but they can go in any country on the www.my360project.com and they can push, uh, you know, put their information in there. Uh, but we're working in Mexico. Uh, we're working in Pakistan, in Uganda, uh, in um, the in Kenya and then in um, West Africa. The name is escaping Liberia. Again, My360 Project is MY360 in numbers, 360project.com. Daryl Carnley, thank you so much for this update, and thank you for your positive imprints once again. Thank you so much, Catherine. Well, today's guest is Tom Tortorich. Tom is a public speaker on climate change and author of metaphysical and science fiction books, which you can find on Amazon, and a mentor. Tom's goal is to help facilitate perspective shifts for his clients and help people become into a deeper sense of self-awareness. Well, after realizing he was on the spectrum for autism, he journeyed to find himself. Following his voyage of self-discovery, he believes that knowing oneself is essential for creating deeper relationships. Tom shares his insights and understandings for what autism is and how he feels society should relate to people on the spectrum. He is a self-advocate for autism, and today he shares his views. Tom, hello. How are you? Greetings. I'm well. Thank you for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Well, well Tom... You are over in Kansas City. I want to first talk about that because you consider Kansas City just the absolute best place to live anywhere. <laughs> so, yeah, and so you're over there in Kansas City, and, and what makes life so grand for you over in Kansas City? Um, honestly, I think the best way to phrase it is um, how down-to-earth people are here. I really like the people. And... Kansas City has a very rich history that um, really resonates with me. But one of the interesting things about Kansas City is that in the 1920s, it was a real hub for American architecture, fashion design, and even the film industry. Um, Walt Disney, he had his, his first studios here. And after, after the 1920s, and, and jazz is really big here, and blues music, and then after that that big scene, um, Kansas City kind of fell off the map. It kind of fell off the radar. So it's the forgotten city of the Midwest, and it has a very unique Americana feeling about it. Yeah. So I have enjoyed my time when I visited Kansas City. And my husband, he happens to be from Missouri. He was a farmer. When we would go out to Missouri to go visit family, we would do some of the museums in Kansas City. And I really, really love the one. I don't know if you've been there, but it's the one on the Mississippi and the different ships that have gone down mm-hmm. on the Mississippi. And they kind of go through the history of these sunken boats and the different losses that occurred and how things have been recovered there. And I cannot remember the name of this museum, but it's really incredible. And yeah, it's the Steamboat Arabia Museum. Yes, that's yeah. it. And they just did a documentary on it, which is available on Curiosity Stream. The Curiosity and, Stream? Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. And the, um, the, the archaeologists involved in that dig are now um, proposing another dig similar, which 
it, it's really it's really interesting, and that's all in that documentary. But you're right, that is a fascinating part of Kansas City history as well. Okay, so Kansas City is is your place of absolute calm and where you live your life. You talked about that people are vulnerable. So let's talk about your vulnerability, your vulnerability and what that means for you. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure where to, where to begin with that. But I think, I think vulnerability can, can be, there's actually two sides to that coin. And, and one would be if we're, uh, if we're vulnerable from a standpoint of insecurity in our where we're at in, in society. So that could be like uh, economic vulnerability. Right, like our, our our jobs aren't secure, or we are living on a, a place of um, economic insecurity. That's a that's kind of we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to being homeless, things like that. And then to- the the other side of that of that coin would be emotional vulnerability, which is a good thing, which implies authenticity, which means that I'm going to be fully, radically, authentically myself, and by exposing my my soft, tender insides is actually the place of real connection, real intimacy. And I want to tie that back into when we're in a vulnerable state in our society, the thing that we really need is community support and coming together as a community, um, really caring for each other and and meeting each other's needs, meeting the needs of the poor and impoverished or the emotionally vulnerable, right? It's the same. It all comes back to connection, community, intimacy, love. That might sound cliche and hippie, but love is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know if I, I don't know if that sounds hippie. I think that it, it rings true around the world. And yeah. I want to, now that you you're kind of talking about this, I want to bring in a quote that I really, really like that I found on your website, and it comes from one of your mentors. And if you don't have, if you don't know what quote I'm talking about, um, I can read the quote, but otherwise it's the one about the earth with your feet. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Um, Go ahead and read it for everyone. We have to walk in a way that we only print peace and serenity on the earth. Walk as if you are kissing the earth with your feet. That's a fabulous quote. And uh, can you pronounce this fellow's name? Yeah, that's um, the, the Buddhist Vietnamese monk Thich Nhat Hanh. That is so inspirational. And that that reminds me of, of leave nothing but, but footprints. And of course, in, in the case here of of your positive imprint, leave nothing but positive imprints. And let's talk about that and the way you are walking here on earth with your feet and the imprints that you're leaving. I really like the way you described emotional vulnerability, but that authenticity. And I think that that's something that is very important for all of us to understand is where do we feel most authentic and what's going on in our insides? So let's talk about your uh, 
the where you see yourself because you you describe yourself as autistic. Mm-hmm. I would say I would say I'm on the Asperger's side of the spectrum, but there's they've recently they the powers that be have recently combined the two into one quote diagnosis in the DSM, which I. If you, if you really understand the differences between the two behavioral types, there's similarities, but they're by no means the same thing. Can you go through those differences? Mm-hmm. Well, one, so one quote or, that I've heard that's really important is if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. And so I, I, really, I really like the term neurotypical versus... Um, Oh, and it's slipping my mind. It must be stage fright. Um, neuro- <laughs> <laughs> neurodiversity. And, and neurodiversity really is a term that accurately uh, captures the idea that we all see and experience the world differently. Not just through our five physical senses, but through our perceptions in terms of our, our conscious responses to the world around us. We, we just see very different things, we feel different things, very different things. And, and and as such, we interact with the world around us very differently. We're all unique individuals, much like red snowflakes, there's not, not two that are identical. And and so on the autistic spectrum you can get anything from um, a person's inability to pick up on social cues which are generally very normal and obvious to neurotypical folks. Um, and you can also get um, savant type of behaviors where somebody might be a, a masterful piano player without ever having taken a single lesson. They can just teach themselves. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you can honestly get into things like folks that are nonverbal. But you can get the whole spectrum from Down syndrome to to savant, hyperintelligent. That's very interesting. And and how how were you diagnosed with Asperger's? Well, honestly, the very first time that I considered the reality of that, and, and it helped me understand, oh wow, this is why I see the world differently. This accounts for my quote unquote um, behavioral abnormality. Was when. A partner's mom, uh, we were over at their house for the holidays, and they did a load of laundry. And when she was folding a, a pair of pants that I had, she noticed that I had an elastic uh, elastic waistband on it. And that's actually very important for me because clothes are, if they're uncomfortable or if they have lumps or if they're too tight, it really affects my nervous system. and I can kind of go into just severe discomfort and almost a, almost a panic when my clothes don't fit properly. And that's kind of a comical trait of, of <laughs> uh, just, it's kind of an emphasis on, on comfort in that way. And if we're not, we just, we just can't function properly. We fixate, right? We, we fixate almost like an OCD thing on that element. And that, that was the very first time that it occurred to me that, Oh, oh, wow! That's um, that explains a lot. So, what what else was there? There was that, and how old were you? Oh, I was in my um, late twenties at the time, so it was it was very late for me before I ever had any clue that that I was um, yeah on 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 a different spectrum. 
And did teachers, when you were in school, did teachers ever consider you autistic? Well, so I grew up, this is, this is an interesting part of the story, and I want to get also comment on um, talking about, you know, there must be more to it. The, um, the, the elastic waistband is really the tip of the iceberg. And, and when, if you want to delve further into the, the why behind that, it's, it's, it's more the, the mindset behind it that, that is indicative of spectrum, uh, spectrum behavior and not, not necessarily the thing itself. That makes sense. Okay. But um, you asked about uh, if, if teachers had ever considered me on the spectrum. So I was born in, in 1981, uh, which is really before autism was really seen as a mainstream diagnosis or, or behavioral trait. And one of my other mentors, Tom Hartman, who has a radio show, him and his brother both share the same personality type. And his brother was born in the late 80s, and Tom himself was born in the early 80s, let's say. The dates might be a little off. But Tom was never diagnosed as autistic, but his brother was. And so there was a shift in the way that society began to diagnose these behavioral traits. So nobody ever thought that when I was growing up because it wasn't as much of a well-known thing at all. And, and that's true. With, with Asperger's, did you have any social issues? Yeah, I mean, I always significantly felt like I like I didn't fit in, and in a very well, I was going to say a very different way, but I don't know if that's true. I mean, I never felt like a social outcast. I never felt like the like the weirdo in the corner. But it just, I just had an awareness of in myself from a very early age that I don't grasp, understand, comprehend the social cues or dynamics that it's obvious that everybody else is it, it just um, abiding by. You know, maybe they don't even recognize what all those nuances are, but I certainly had no clue, right, which made me feel like always like an outsider because I didn't know what to do in social circumstances. And so you were, and from what I could tell, I mean, you're, you're out there doing motivational speaking, inspirational speaking. And so you must have had to somehow teach yourself to understand what certain cues would mean and how you should react to those cues. Yeah, um, the way that I think about it is that I kind of reverse engineered it and it, and it took many, many years just through like, just being very observant, like a study, quote-unquote, of human behavior to notice what are they responding to? How do they know that in this situation they're supposed to say that thing? I mean, it, it, it's the equivalent by metaphor of, you know, in high society 100 years ago in the Deep South, maybe we had eight forks and seven knives, just like the, the, the pinnacle of propriety is to know which knife to use with which uh, course of the meal. And not knowing that, is the same as not picking up on, on social cues. So having to reverse engineer it by closely watching which knife do you use for the salad, or which fork do you use for your meat and potato, and so on. I, I like that you have the neurotypical and the neurodiversity discussion because we do all see the world in different ways, and we, I think you said it very clearly, we all experience the world differently. 
-hmm. And I know that accepting others and their experiences is one thing, but then in the workforce, there's less acceptance of people on the spectrum. And so it's harder for them to get jobs. Now, you've had uh, success in your professional life. Yeah. Well, I've always worked for myself mo- most for the most part. It, it has been actually tremendously challenging, almost impossible for me to work in a traditional uh, nine-to-five environment uh, for a lot of the social reasons that I described. Uh-huh. And so you went into self-employment and, but you've, you have this dynamic, diverse, ver- just a very varied, uh, you've written books, you have podcasts, you're a motivational speaker. I mean, it, can, it goes on and on and on. So you're just constantly doing things to better yourself and to better the community. So let, let's, you know, since we're kind of, since I mentioned the books, that's part of your positive imprint are these books. And mm-hmm. choose one of the books because I know you have a lot of books that you've mm-hmm. written. Choose one and share that with the listeners. Oh, that's, um, yeah, it's hard to pick which, which one um, <laughs> would be either most interest to them or most interesting for me to talk about. Because I've done fiction and nonfiction. They're all in a way kind of a social commentary, but from very outside the box type of thinking. Let's do the fiction. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Let's do the fiction. What made you decide to do fiction to help people? Because you're, you're, whole point of writing books is to help others. Um, I think, I think uh, yes, and maybe more nuanced than that. My, my, my point in, in writing books is to help folks um, gain access to a new perspective that they might never have before considered. And that I think thinking outside the box and opening our minds to those who do think outside the box is tremendously beneficial. Right, because we live in a, a society that generally thinks there's only one right, one right way to do things. So if we can open our minds to, wow, we can do, this, we can accomplish the same things in radically different ways. That type of shifting perspective, I think, is what's needed in the world today. Because we've seen how well business, as usual, has uh, succeeded in creating global warming and all, all kinds of things. Right. This fiction book. What is the title? Time without end. Time without end. Okay, so I find that that sharing my unique perspectives in a fictional context is often a lot more, yeah, well, easier to do, and it's also a lot more more well received than if I just share that from a nonfiction point of view. Because people are like, oh, this guy's crazy. He sees the world so differently. <laughs> but in fiction, you get the liberty to, to really do whatever you want. Okay, so my fiction book, I would compare it mostly to the, the um, writing style or genre of Haruki Murakami. Uh, it's called um, Magical Realism. My book goes off on, on tangents that talk about the space-time continuum, and then it takes us to science fiction world and fantasy realms where we're using swords and sorcery. But at its core is is kind of um, an analysis of the world that we live in and juxtaposes that with the world that we could live in. So the, the, very, the very opening scene is uh, Eric, uh, the main character, is on a plane and he's returning home to Chicago. 
and from Madagascar, third world country. And he raises the window shade and he sees the bright city lights of Chicago, this orange glow that blots out the night sky. And the perspective is, what would our caveman ancestors say if they saw the bright lights on the city? And the answer in the book is, what on earth happened to all the stars? Interesting. Yeah, so you've, you've taken philosophy and reality and mm-hmm. history and kind of combined it. And that sounds like an interesting book. So what's the title one more time? Time Without End. Time Without End, okay. And, and sociology, too. No, I think you're totally right. I hadn't looked at it that way. Philosophy and, and all the rest. And because when he lands at the airport, he he's confronted with, so he's been away. He's been in Madagascar in the third world for several years. In the time that he was away, the iPad was introduced into society. <laughs> he's at the airport and he, and he, and he needs to uh, contact his, his parents. And he doesn't have a phone, he doesn't have a cell phone. And he asks a, a, a person in the, in the airport, uh, can I use your laptop to email? And the guy's like, what's a laptop? All I have is an iPad. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so it kind of gets in, into an analysis or getting us to think about how has how have our lives been, been affected? Uh, not positive or negative, but just all the changes since the introduction of smartphones and iPads into our society. The change has been dramatic and huge. Absolutely. And then coming from... You said a caveman's point of view. Right. And there's lots to be said for what your book has, because, again, it goes right back to your little phrase of we all see and experience the world differently. And and now your struggles. I know that you've struggled because of your Asperger's through through your, your life. And how are you using those struggles to, and I know it's, you know, writing books and doing these these talks, but how are you helping those directly who are feeling emotionally vulnerable in society? Yeah, I think that's the heart of, of my work that I feel called to do in the world. I, I've always felt a, a deep sense of loneliness. Um, and I, I, the Asperger's component is, is certainly a, a major reason why. But it's more than that, because... I, I'm noticing more and more in the world, especially as social media becomes much more of a, a dominant force in our lives, a sense of social isolation, loneliness that, that a lot of people are feeling. And, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about so, sociologically, why is that the case? Why is this true? I mean, we live in a, a time where we're more connected than ever before, but so many people are feeling lonelier, more cut off. And so I, I moved to Kansas City eight years ago for the first time. And then three years ago, I moved away to explore the West Coast. I lived in Oregon for a while. And then I lived in Boulder, Colorado for a short time. So this three-year journey before coming back to Kansas City. But what, what I learned and experienced in Oregon has really defined a lot of my work and will continue to find a lot of my work in the world. There's there's really a, a focus among the community I was in on emotional vulnerability and authenticity. 
and connection to each other being an essential and nourishing aspect of why we're here alive on Earth. Whereas I find in quote-unquote mainstream society, the emphasis is on busyness and work, whether that's 40 hours plus. And we fill our time when we're not working with a lot of activities to keep us avoidant of our emotions. We're cut off from our emotions. We're repressed, we're traumatized, we've been emotionally abused, and so we're cut off. And that leads to the sense of loneliness. A lot of, a lot of my work now is uh, focused around empathy. And in the authentic relating uh, circles and retreats that I do, as well as the nonviolent communication uh, NBC work that I teach, that's based on Marshall Rosenberg from the 1970s, just amazing curriculum that really teaches empathy. So I, I came to that work from, I'd gotten out of a really, we call it toxic, abusive, emotional, um, romantic relationship. And I just had, just coupled with everything else, I just couldn't get out of the emotional, mental uh, pit of despair and twisted logic that the, that this abusive relationship left me with. And it was just too much. Even though I was living in a spiritual community at the time and, and meditating daily and having a lot of good spiritual influences in my life, it was just the, the dichotomy between this beautiful, spiritual, empathic world that I was seeing versus the, the, the rough-and-tumble mainstream world that existed in the world that I, that I was having a hard time, impossible time putting up with, right, from being on the spectrum to any other reason. It just got to a point when I said, enough is enough. And so that led to a suicide attempt. Wow. You are such a wonderful person, and you have so much to give, and you have been giving so much. There's a reason why you're here. You have such positive imprints to provide the rest of your life. You're, you're right, and thank you for saying that. I think I do have a lot of um, positive imprints to, to offer the world. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad that you're able to keep that attitude up and that your turn that you've made uh, on the path here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does feel like a complete reversal. I I'm happy for you. Yeah, thank you. A lot of my work focuses on leading what, what are being called authentic relating groups. And authentic relating now is a global community. It's in many cities across the U.S. It's also in Europe and many other places that teaches it's through a series of games, social interpersonal games, that creates a safe space and an environment to help us all become much more connected to ourselves and to each other in an emotionally safe space. It obviously helped you find your place in society and help you decide that you need to be, or you need to maybe, and I don't know if overcome is the right word, but to deal with your Asperger's in a way so that you're able to get out and 
work in these groups and help society and speak your voice and share your voice? Oh, I have tremendous social anxiety when I go into these groups. And that's something that I definitely had to overcome. When I first, like I knew that I needed this kind of connection in my life. But when I first started going to these groups, the amount of social anxiety, even in the safe spaces where this was being offered, was almost made me want to run out of the room screaming. Well, intimidating. When you, when you make eye contact with a stranger, the invitation is to just sit with each other in silence, knee to knee, and just look into each other's eyes. Now, this is strange. This is something you've never met before. And you do that, the emotions that come up in you are in, in, in myself were so overpowering. And I'm like, well, I've never experienced anything like this before. Because you were and, never put in that situation. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that I, I, I always think of, term, think of things in terms of the society at large that we live in, where in many ways there are a lot of taboos uh, surrounding intimacy and vulnerability. Yeah. So I think my, my unique space of coming from a feeling of extreme isolation, because I'm on the neurodiversity side of things, uh, I, I realized, I think more acutely than most people have the opportunity to, because they're able to fit in, they're able to blend in. But I wasn't. So I, I use that as an opportunity to really see and feel and experience, my gosh, what's missing? How do I find that? Wow, so that took a lot of courage for you, but also a lot of understanding of what you really want out in life to go in and do this. And then now you're sharing your voice. And I know that you are doing these motivational talks throughout. And you have, you know, people who ask you all sorts of questions and you're able to help guide them. And, and I think that that's just something that's so needed for people to know that you experience some of their fears and again that word their vulnerable emotional side and then what else did you want to share and, and discuss with regard to your positive imprints I, I could yeah i could talk about myself and my work a lot more but i think one thing i want to touch on is um the, the conversation around autism is something that I would really like to see a shift in, to be honest. And even lumping autism in with special needs or calling it a disorder, I think, misses the uniqueness of these individuals and what our contribution to society could be if the environments were simply um, appropriate for more of us. And I'd love to hear about any any organizations that are actively working to employ autistic adults. Um, I, have a, I have a good friend who, she's on the spectrum a lot, a lot more than I am. She, um, she's very mindful in, in her life, and she walks through her life with a sense of uh, care and, and mindfulness, and she's not a busybody, let's put it that way. And so she was working at a grocery store, and... They demoted her because she wasn't meeting their productivity standards. She was a checkout cashier, right? And she wasn't able to get as many people through the line as 
the management thought she needed to. And so they demoted her and, and lowered her pay. Now, I don't, I don't think that in this situation the Americans with Disabilities Act applies, but it should. Because there's a lot of folks that are perfectly intelligent, useful humans. Uh, and they're not being respected because our society is based on how, what, what's your level of productivity? We're only going to pay you for this amount of productivity. And some people can't keep up with that because the expectations are unreasonable. When you have a chance, listen to Stride, one of my podcast episodes, S-T-R-I-D-E. Mm-hmm. And this CEO, Carrie Brennan Bertram, is incredible. And you might even want to reach out to her and have a chat with her as to how she started this. I mean, she's she is just an an amazing person. And then the repair cafe out in Florida, Leanne, who wanted to start a repair cafe, get folks who are on that autistic side and help them with social skills, teach them how to do an interview and present themselves and answer questions and get them so that they can become productive and become employed in our society. I, I, I agree with that, but being, being a, a, an advocate for autism, I would like to see education for employers learning how to listen to us instead of making us modify to mainstream. Well, and I think that that's a good point. I think it needs to come from legislation and have laws that are changed. Yeah, um, it takes legislation and it takes empathy. I think it's an emotion that our society could really do well to, to teach and to learn a lot and practice a lot more of. Yes. Well, Tom, this has been very, very interesting and I'm very happy that you are on the path to your own successes and that you are out there providing positive imprints and help for those who really do need some direction and that you're going to help make change, not just in their lives, but in society's lives. And that's that's truly important. Yeah, thank you. It's a very nice, very nice compliment. I appreciate that. Oh, well, thank you, Tom, for sharing your positive imprints and for being here on Your Positive Imprint. Great. Yeah, thank you for having me. To learn more about Tom Tortorich, you can check out his website, PositiveEnabler.com or Amazon. Since this recording, he has released a new science fiction novel titled, Long Way From Home. Now hit that subscribe, download, or follow button now. I appreciate it. Your positive imprint. What's your P.I.?